Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Ephesians chapter number four. We'll begin reading in verse one. And the word of the Lord declares, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirits and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is the life-giving word of the Lord. The author C.S. Lewis in his article uh, titled The Problem of Pain wrote, God is both further from us and nearer to us than any other being. During the early, the middle part of the 20th century, there was a battleship that was on exercise out to sea and it found itself in extremely bad weather. Now, this is obviously the time before there was GPS or thermal imaging or, or satellites And so much of the naval navigation was done with the human eye. It was about what you could see. And uh, and because the weather was bad and and there was fog, the captain felt particularly responsible for the safety of the ship and the crew. He was on the bridge diligently keeping an eye on what was happening as the battleship made its way uh, in the fog. But just after dark, the lookout spotted a light on the starboard side, and the captain asked if it was steady or moving. And... uh, And the lookout replied that the light was steady, meaning that it was on a direct collision course with the ship. And the captain of the ship ordered that the lookout signal the other ship through uh, flashing lights of Morse code. The message was, change your course 20 degrees. We are on a collision course. And a signal came back in reply, no, it is advisable that you change your course 20 degrees. The captain, surprised and irritated, By the response signaled, I am a captain, change your course, 20 degrees. The reply came back, I am a seaman of second class. You better change your course, 20 degrees. The captain, now very furious and upset, he sent back the message, I am a battleship, I will not change my course. Back came the signal, that's your call, but no, I'm a lighthouse. (laughs) The captain immediately ordered the battleship to change course 20 degrees. Isn't it interesting how quickly things change and become different when your perspective changes? When you uh, see things from a new angle and when you see things that you didn't know before. I want to welcome you back to part three of our series where we're looking at the answer, or looking to answer the question of who is God. And uh, as we've discussed, it's a very simple question. It's only three words long, all one single syllables. Who is God? It's a question that even children understand. But as we discovered, it's not a simple question. And the reason why it's not simple, it's not because that we can't answer the question. The reason why it's not simple is because everybody has their own perspective or opinion or reference point about who God is. And as we talked about, our perspectives and our opinions about God tend to be these amalgamations, these compositions of a little bit we know from the Bible combined with what we know or what we learn from our culture and our upbringing and our emotions. We tend to see God from our own perspective and our own experience. And so for many people, God is simply 
an old man with a beard with a long robe. For others, God is, you know, um, he is this, this divine watchmaker who has complicatedly assembled this machine, the universe, and wound it all up and now has set it aside and it's allowing it to run its own course, which we are all part of that process. For some people, God is this cosmic killjoy who makes a bunch of rules and runs around enforcing them because he doesn't want us to have too much fun. Some people view God as simply a force of nature. Some people think that God is the universe itself. Right? For some people, uh, their view of God is that he's this personal assistant. He's simply there to just satisfy their whims and their desires. That God is a cosmic butler and ATM machine. For some people, God is called an exalted man. For others, he is just simply this loving energy that penetrates all of creation. For a growing number of people in the church who call themselves Christians, God can be identified with the phrase moralistic therapeutic deism. I know that's uh, not something you wanted to learn today, but, but it's the fastest growing view of God in America. It's a heretical view. It's not a biblical view, but it's the fastest growing view of God in America. Moralistic therapeutic deism. It's the idea that God is moralistic, which means that God wants us to behave and obey the rules and be nice to each other. And that God is therapeutic in the sense that God wants people to be happy and well-adjusted and live self-actualized life. That the point of life is to be happy, is what they say. And that God is a deistic God. Or in other words, He has made the world and He's kind of left it alone. And He doesn't get personally involved until I want something from Him and then I pray to Him so that He can give it to me. Right? This is the fastest growing view of God in the church today. It's moralistic, therapeutic deism, but it's a false view of God. But as we said, it seems that just about everybody has a picture of their own, of God in their minds. A picture that's usually centered on the wrong reference point, the reference point of, of us. For many people, God makes sense, has to make sense to them from their own perspective. They want a view of God and they want to judge God based on their short-sighted perspective, like the captain on the battleship. We try to understand God from where we are standing. We try to get God to fit with inside our own imaginations. For many people, God makes sense to them from their own vantage points. We want God to like to be like our likes and dislikes. We want God to fit our personalities. We want to assume that God is like us as individuals. The truth is we tend to have a man-centered view of God. And the problem that we've talked about so far is that if you begin with man, if you begin with you, you will always fail in your attempt to fully understand God. Because man-centered views of God always lead to a false view of who he is, which leads to a false view of who we are. And that leads to a false view of what he wants for our lives. And even worse, man-centered theologies and man-centered views of God can lead us to worship not God, but false gods. Our view of God can be a matter of our salvation because it's not what you, what you do that saves you, it's what you believe that saves you, right? Which means that the question of who God is is really a very important one. And that means that if you're going to answer, that we need to answer that question and if we're going to do that the right way, we need to throw out our men-centered views of God, right? And seek a God-centered view of God. We need a new perspective, a God-centered perspective, which is a biblical view of God. It's what the Bible says. 
See, we need to, we need, we need to put a, aside what we think God is like and what we want God to be like, and we need to look and see what God says that he is like, which is exactly what we're doing in this series. We are setting those things aside, and we're going right to the Word of God and examining who God is. In the first place we started, we discovered that God does not simply exist. God is existence himself. That's what his name means. God's name, Yahweh, means the one who exists, the one who simply is. God is existence and reality itself. That means all things and all realities owe their existence, right, and their continued existence to God because he simply is. He is existence itself. That's why he calls himself Heya or I am or I am that I am. God simply is, which means he is eternal. He's never had a beginning, which means he will never have an end. He is absolute reality, and he never changes. And that's just some of the things that we learned about God just from his name. The fact is that he exists. God is eternal. The second thing we learned, which was last week, is that God is holy, which means at least two important things. Number one, God is different from anything in all of his creation. He is unlike anything else, right? Because he is the creator and not the creation. He is vastly different from us. He is other than us. Number two, God is absolute purity, right? He's completely righteous, completely moral. He is in every sense of the word, right and true. God is completely perfect in every possible fashion and facet. What God's holiness means to us is that God is of supreme importance and value to us. God is the most important person and reality in our lives. He's the most valuable thing in the universe, which means he is to be our supreme treasure above all other things. He is the one that we are to desire and cherish the most. We were created to desire him. We were created to glorify him and enjoy him. That's what it means for God to be holy. He is completely different and completely pure and supremely valuable. Now, understand the last couple of weeks, we've talked a lot about some very big subjects when it comes to understanding God. And as we covered them, we covered a lot of ground and scriptures to boot. And so if you missed anything in the last couple of weeks, you're not going to fully appreciate the things that we're talking about in this series moving forward because everything is really interconnected. One thing builds on the next. And so I want to encourage you right, to go to our church website or our SoundCloud page when you get a moment, and then you can actually uh, listen to those messages and get caught up. And that way, everything else that we talk about will, will connect together and make more sense. And so with that, as we talked about, um, in the last few weeks, God is eternal. He is holy, which means he is different and completely perfect. And he is existence itself. And, and when you begin to think about these kinds of ideas, when you really start to like really process them, you begin to realize all that means that God by his very nature is bigger than our imaginations. God is bigger than we can wrap our head around. I mean, the creator, he is the creator of all things, which means he is not his own creation. This is an important distinction. God is not his creation. People who are pantheistic believe that God is creation and that creation is God. That's a very, that's, that's a very pantheistic Eastern mythology 
kind of view of God that, that, that everything is the universe is God and, and God is everything in the universe. But we understand that God is not His creation. He is holy. He is other than His creation. He is separate from His creation, which means He is outside of His creation. He is outside of time because He's timeless and eternal. He is outside of space, which means He's immaterial and spaceless. God, as it's been said, transcends his creation, right? He is completely distinct from it, outside of it. Now, if you think about this, <clears throat> creation or the observable universe, which is probably more than this, but the observable universe is 96 billion light years across. It's a distance that you and I have no reference point to even like begin to understand. It's not something that we can actually even relate to. Because if you think about this, one light year is the distance that it takes light to travel in one year. And, and if, you, if you want to kind of begin to try to, be, to, to touch that, that distance is 186,000 miles per second multiplied times 60 seconds, multiplied times 60 minutes, multiplied times 24 hours in a day, times 365 days in a year. That is one light year. And that by itself is a, is a sum and a, and a number and a distance that you can't even, even grapple with or relate to, right? Not to mention the, uni- the observable universe, what we can actually see is 96 billion of those light years, right? It's, it's, it's an unimaginable distance, right? It's not something, again, you can even fit within your head. There's no context for you to be able to, to judge that or understand how big that is. And all of that fits within the palm of God's hand. Right? God is much, much, much greater than his creation. And the theological word that we use to describe this about God is that God is transcendent. Right? God is eternal. He is holy. He is transcendent. God is a transcendent God. He transcends his creation, which means he's greater than, he's bigger than, he is other than his creation. He is outside of his creation is what the word means. And Psalms, we, we, we see that in the Bible. In fact, in Psalm 119, verses 3 through 4, we're told that the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. Isaiah 40, chapter, chapter 40, verses 20 through, 21 through 23, he says, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretched out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in? Who brings princes to nothing? Who makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? The Bible describes God as a transcendent God. He is bigger and he is greater than all of his creation. God is all powerful. God is all knowing. God is ever present by his word, by just his word. Everything exists and has its being and finds its meaning because he is existence himself. God is transcendent and holy, which means he is unlike anything in creation. In fact, there are only two states of existence possible, right? There is creation 
and then there's God. That is it. Either you know you have all created things where there's not God, and then you have God, but nothing created. God is very different fundamentally from creation. Creation is finite. God is infinite. Creation is temporal. God is eternal. Creation is always changing, but God is, is constant and unchanging. Creation is limited. God is unlimited. God is altogether different than his creation, which means God, by the very definition of this, is outside of our ability to fully comprehend. God is outside of our ability to fully understand him. God is outside of our ability to conceptualize and visualize. This is why God prohibits mankind from making idols of him. He prohibits mankind from making statues and pictures of him. You ever wondered about that? Why God gets so upset by making graven images? It's like the golden calf. The golden calf was supposed to be an image of Yahweh, right? But why does God get upset? Because, because the reason why is that any image, any drawing, any sculpture that we create will be a false representation of who God is. Everything that we create will fail to capture his essence of who he really is. If you create an image of man, you have missed the point. If you have created an image of light, you have vastly missed the point. Anything that you create, whether it's animal or anything else, you have failed to represent God. Anything you create to represent God is, in essence, an insult to him because it leaves out so much of who he is. Because his essence, who he really is, cannot be captured by our artistic abilities. That's why God refuses to allow us to reduce him down to an idol. God is transcendent, which means he's outside of our understanding. In fact, the 5th century theologian and church father, uh, Augustine of Hippo, said, said it best. He says, we're, to, we're talking about God. What wonder is it that you do not understand? If you do understand, then it is not God. His point is this. If God can fit within inside the confines of your imagination, you worship a God that's false. Because God is beyond your imagination. He's transcendent. He will not fit within your head. He will not fully make sense to you in some of his attributes. Because he says, he tells us in Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is above you in a way that you cannot possibly comprehend. He is different from you in a way that you cannot possibly imagine or relate to. Which means, in a very real sense, God is indeed far away. God, on some level, is distant from us. He is far and distant from us. He is, he is high as the heavens are above the earth. The Bible, God's word, paints a picture of, uh, for us of a, of a transcendent, holy God. But understand, if we were just to stop here then and worship him just, just this way, we would lose sight of who God really is. Because if God is only transcendent, if he is only outside of creation, then we can really never know him. We would never really know him personally, I mean. I mean, we would know some things about him 
you know, from creation, like Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, Paul says very clearly, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. God is, God is if God is only transcendent, we, we, can, we can know some things about Him, right? By observing creation, but we would never really actually know who God is. I mean, we would know that he's all-powerful, right, and, and creative and, and gigantic, and we would know that he's complex and detail-oriented, but we'd really never have a relationship with him in a way that's meaningful if he was only transcendent. And so many people, they actually take this view of God. It's a very common view nowadays of a, of a, of a, a hyper-transcendent God to believe that God is so transcendent that he's completely outside of creation with no ability to connect with us, that no one could ever know him, that it's impossible for God in any meaningful way to, to talk to us and to, and, to, and to communicate with us. All that, that, that we can do is, is to know that he exists by his creation, that he created all things, and maybe perhaps he wants something from us. Right? But, but he's so transcendent that he's distant and, and indifferent to us and that God could really care less about our lives. But if he did care, there's not much he could do because he's too far from us. This is a what's called a deistic view of God, right? God is distant like this moralistic, therapeutic deism. God is far away and doesn't really intervene in human affairs, but he wants us to be happy and he wants us to, to, to be nice to each other. And many people have, have this very distant view of God. But if you are a Christian... If you have actually moved and put your trust in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you know that there's a lot more to it than this. There is more to God than him simply being distant and transcendent. If you're a Christian, you know God is also very near. He is also imminent. That is the theological word for it. We know that he is imminent. He is near to us. God may be transcendent and outside of creation, but he is also simultaneously close to us. He is imminent. How do we know that he's imminent? Well, several ways. First of all, God tells us that he is. God tells us that he's near to us in his word, in the Bible. He says, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it that the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? It's Deuteronomy 4.7. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and, and courageous. <clears throat> do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am God. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his, by his love. He will exult over you with, with loud singing. The Bible makes it clear that God is not only transcendent and outside of creation, but he is also imminent and inside of his creation. He is both far and near. God is imminent and transcendent. He is both far and near. Now, there's some 
people might struggle with those two ideas because they seem like polar opposites. But Paul paints a very beautiful picture of this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is urging the Ephesians to grow toward maturity and to become unified as a body of believers. He wants them to grow up, spiritually speaking, and become a unified church to love their fellow believers. And as a part of the justification for this, for calling them to maturity and to unity, Paul points these Ephesians to the unity of the faith and the unity of God's transcendence and his eminence. He says there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Who, I want you to hear this, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, Paul has no problem at all in painting a picture of a God who is both far and transcendent and near and imminent. He says that there is one God united and complete within himself. And he is over all, outside of all, transcendent. And he is through all and in all, which means he's inside of creation and imminent. Paul tells us very plainly that God is both of those things, transcendent and imminent. So God is not simply far and he's not simply near. He is both. God is not simply outside of creation, and He's not simply inside of creation. He is both. He's not simply beyond our imaginations, and He's not simply familiar to us. He is both. God is both transcendent and imminent. He is both near and far. And God tells us this over and over again in His Word. Deuteronomy 4.39 says, Know therefore today, and lay it to your heart that the Lord Yahweh is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high place and the holy place. And so, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrites. Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24. Am I a God at hand? Am I near, declares the Lord, and not a, not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? God tells us very clearly that he is both near and far, both imminent and transcendent. God is both beyond our understanding, but at the same time, He is personally knowable. God tells us what He's like. He tells us who He is. Through the Bible, God tells us that, that, that He is both outside and inside of His creation at the same time. And again, if you struggle with that idea, right, 
I understand that struggle, but understand that Jesus, when he came to the earth, he came to show us both of those things. The book of John, we read, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We know from the context that the word is Jesus, right? And so what John is saying very clearly that Jesus was there in the beginning, which means Jesus is eternal, which means like his father, he is what? Transcendent. He is holy, which means he's different from us. He is completely pure. Jesus was there in the beginning and he was with the father presence in fellowship with him. And Jesus was also the word himself, God. And John says, all things were made through him and without him, not anything was made that was made. John further affirms Jesus' transcendence by pointing out that Jesus is not a part of creation. He is the one who created creation. He is himself the creator. Jesus is the creator of all things. All things were made through him. And then John says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness was not, not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And then notice what John says. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus, the transcendent word, the eternal light was eminently coming into the world. And then John says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were not born, not of blood, nor of the will of the Father, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The eternal Word, the transcendent Son of God, became fleshly eminent and dwelt with His people. Transcendent God came to earth and was present and was eminent in the world with his people. Jesus is the, the very physical picture of the transcendence and eminence of God. He is the picture of God being far away and near at the same time. So God reveals the truth about himself through his word and through Christ and finally through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's ever-present eminence. God the Holy Spirit is always near us and in us. Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. 2 Timothy 1, 4, By the Spirit who dwells within us, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Romans 8, 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And then 1 John 4, 4 says, little children, we are from God and have overcome them. 
For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then finally, David cries out to God in Psalm 51, 11 says, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. God through the Holy Spirit shows us that, that he is always present with all of us. God is both near and imminent. He is far and transcendent. He is simultaneously outside of his creation and inside of every single square inch of his creation. God is high above us and over us. and At the same time, he is intimately near us. And if you're a Christian, in us. God is beyond our ability to grasp and wrap our heads around and understand, but he's near enough to give us the ability to know him as a friend. God is both far and near. Now you might be thinking, okay, why is this important to me? I mean, why all this theology stuff, eminence and transcendence? I mean, I came here this morning to sing a couple of songs and, and maybe hear an inspirational word, you know, and then maybe take the Lord's table. But man, you know, why are you keep talking about God being near and far at the same? Why is this even, you know, relevant? Well, it's important for a number of reasons. Number one, this helps us to understand where God is. Because this is a question that, that everybody will ask at some point. Where is God? You just give it a little bit of time and you experience a hardship in your life. Let something go sideways. Let you lose somebody. Let things go completely backwards in your life and you will say the words, where is God? Because there will be times that you will wonder and, and feel like you're alone. Where is God? And the answer, the question that will bring you home is that he is outside the universe, and at the same time, he is throughout and inside the universe. He is far away, and yet he is also near. And this is important to us, for us to stand, understand, especially when, when we're going through very difficult times. Because here's the truth. If God is a transcendent God, that means he is bigger and greater than anything you'll ever face in your life. He's bigger and greater than anything you will ever face in your life. He's greater than anything in the universe, which means he's greater than all of your trials. He is greater than all of your issues. He is greater than the person who's talking trash about you. He is greater than your financial problems. He is greater than your family problems. He is greater than your, your anxieties. He is greater than all of your problems put together. When you have a big problem, it's important to remember you also have an even bigger God. Because God is transcendent, He is all-knowing. And because He's all-knowing, then nothing surprises Him. Nothing stumps Him. Nothing causes Him to wring His hands and worry and wondering if it's going to work out okay for you. And because He's all-powerful, then, He has the ability to fix and to deal with and to redeem anything that goes wrong in your life. God can and will take any situation in your life and work it out for your good, which is exactly what he promises when he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God being transcendent means he's greater than your biggest problems. God being transcendent means 
You can depend on Him when you can't depend on anything else. But God being imminent means that He is there with you as you deal with your problems. That He's in the middle of your pain when you cry out. Right? When you cry out, where is God? The answer is right here with you. And if you're a Christian, He's inside of you. You see, God's eminence means that that you were never, ever, ever alone. If there's a truth that you're gonna, you need to hold on to in your life, if, if there's a truth that you remember when things go sideways as they will, you were never, ever, ever alone. Jesus promises to always be with you. God promises to never leave you or forsake you. God says that he will always be near to the brokenhearted. In fact, Jesus coming to the earth was a demonstration of his willingness to walk in your shoes and to do life with you and to suffer right alongside with you. He came to fully sympathize with you and to fully understand you and to fully identify with you. That's why we can have peace when he tells us things like, I have said these things to you that you may have peace in this world. You will have peace. Tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid, Jesus exhorts us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you to go prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. You see, God's transcendence and eminence tells us where God is. He is both near and far, which means He is everything that you need. Everything you need. But it also tells us about who God is. You see, one morning I was in my office. I was praying to God and I was praying, Lord, let me just let me see you for who you are. Let me keep my head right and focused on who you are. And I begin to think about God's holiness, right? And his bright bigness and his transcendence. And my heart began to marvel at, the, at this holy and righteous and awe-inspiring God. My heart was moved with reverence and respect and deep adoration for God's power and His might and His unimaginable beauty. And as I prayed for a moment, I, wor- I worshipped the Lord and I, and I prayed, Lord, let me never lose sight of you this way. May I never forget how awesome you are. May I never forget the fact that you're beyond my ability to fully understand. May I never forget that how big you are and how beyond my imagination you are. May I always respect you and have reverence for you. But Lord, let me not stay here and lose sight of all of you because there is more. And I begin to think about God's intimacy, his nearness to me, his eminence, the fact that I could sense his presence around me. I begin to take comfort in the fact that God knows my name. Eight billion people in the world, and he knows my name. He knows my thoughts. 
knows my actions. He knows all that I've ever done. And yet he still loves me. Cares about me. He sent his son to die on the cross for the likes of me. And he made a way for me to have a real, personal relationship with him. And he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of me, to guide me, to direct me, and to continually let me know, to continually whisper in my ear, I'm with you. I'm right here with you. No matter what comes your way, no matter what happens to you, I am here with you. And I marvel because, because God calls me friend. He calls me beloved. He calls me his son. And as I prayed, Lord, let me never lose sight of your nearness. Let me never lose sight of the fact that you call me friend. May I never lose sight of your presence. But at the same time, Lord, let me not stay here and lose sight of all of you. Help me to continually think about you both of these ways. Lord, help me to remember how big you are so I can worship you in a way that's fitting. But don't let me forget about your nearness. Otherwise, my, I will certainly fear you, but my love for you may run cold. I will certainly tremble at your awesomeness, but I might not cherish you. But let me remember your nearness, Lord, and your friendship. But don't let me forget your transcendence. Otherwise, I may simply become too comfortable with your friendship and begin to take you for granted and lose my reverence for you and your holiness and then worship you in a way that's unfit and disrespectful to you. You see, to truly understand God, to truly know Him, to properly worship Him, to truly love Him is to always keep both of these things in view. Both God's distance and His nearness. God's holiness and His familiarity. God's mind-blowing awesomeness and His very comforting intimacy. If you're going to know God, if we're going to walk with God, if we're going to truly worship God, we must continually remind ourselves that God is both imminent and transcendent. He is both far and near. And as C.S. Lewis says, God is both further from us and nearer to us than any other being. And because of that, He is all we will ever need. And all our hopes are secure in Him. Let me pray for you. Father, my, my heart soars to think of you this way. It humbles me, Lord God, to know that you, the creator of all things, care about someone like me. In the history of the world, of all the people who've ever lived, for some reason, you've decided by your grace to have a relationship with me, that you are distant, Lord God, that you are so big that you, that you won't fit inside my head, but still close enough that I can know you and know that you're real. That you're big enough to take care of my problems and, and near enough to comfort me. 
you hear, you, 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 you feel my tears when I, and you hear me when I call you. Father, move all of our hearts to this, Lord God. Help us, all of us, to rejoice in this, in both your transcendence and your eminence, in both your holiness and your, your, your friendliness. The fact that you are the creator of all things, that you will say, you are my friend. That you created the world, but then you loved us so much to save us from ourselves. I pray, Father God, that you would bless us in this. And that we would take this and meditate on it and walk out of here, Lord, proclaiming your goodness and sharing the hope of Christ with everyone else. I pray you'd raise up a people in this place who are so passionate about you and about your truth that they would tell their friends and their neighbors and invite them here so they can be saved as well. Father, be glorified in this place. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.